Your Most Avid Reader by Bibi Berkey. Isn't it a glorious one? I do hope I find you well. So, let's dive straight in. The Church of the Radiant Wanderers. Not much information, I'm afraid. They were a secretive lot. Originally, it was led by a man, one Enoch Harrington, a self-styled pastor, somewhat in the American mould, who was never recognised by the Church of England. On his death, sometime in the 1750s, his wife, Emily, took over. She infused the wanderers with an evangelism that even poor Enoch hadn't been able to muster. The women of the group became dominant. They effectively ran the church and were incredibly successful in raising funds and building some respectability for its name. These days they'd be viewed as crackpots, but then I think they may have been something of a novelty. In a remote area like rural Lincolnshire, they were able to flourish and win quite a big local following, especially among the wives and daughters of wealthy landowners. When the newly arrived Hesiots were in trouble for building on private land, it was Emily Harrington who stepped in and came to their rescue. She allowed them to erect their curious wooden huts on stilts on church property. I suppose she wanted their spiritual custom. The two female leaders got on well with each other for a while, but then fell out over the thorny issue of sex, as far as I can tell. Shall we get back to the Hesiots now? I bet that's what you'd like to hear. And what's sex got to do with it all, you ask? Well, let me just tell you a bit more about who they were. Humour me. It all ties in. I was browsing through the reference section of the public library in Lincoln, minding my own business, when I came across a book called The Westward Movement of Eastern Peoples. It was written by a Dutch ethnographer called Paul van Hoyfen in the 1860s. I didn't expect much from it, but it totally came up trumps. He talks about Hesiod race originating in India or Nepal and next appearing in Kazakhstan, before spreading westwards and settling in Holland, England and Belgium. Van Hoyfen states that the only peculiarity of this group was in the seeming lack of interest in maintaining any racial identity. Wherever they settled, they instantly set about integrating with the locals until they were subsumed and lost to posterity. He adds that they prized girl children and had an unusually imbalanced, if sinister, gender ratio. Remember Dorothy Metlow? I mentioned her in my last email. She was related to the first settlers. Well... Well, she describes them as pure race of enchanting virgins. It's my belief that they called themselves virgins mistakenly because they were anti-marriage. The Hesiots were all about babies and girl babies at that. For that, they needed local men. Marriage didn't really come into it. This may be exactly why they fell out with the Church of the Radiant Wanderers. Think of how disrupting it must have been. These carefree foreigners arriving, making use of local sperm, but not prepared to play by the religious rules. So there we have it. The stage is set for two formidable groups of women. On the one hand, a band of travelling foreign beauties. On the other, a sect of influential charismatics with their own land and power. 
How funny to think of their story playing out in the middle of nowhere. There are so many so-called lost villages around the British Isles. Our story is set in and around one of them, a hamlet called Distan Laby. It would have been inland from where Saltfleet is now, but long gone. Just like the Hesiots, and indeed the Radiant Wanderers. Are you the one who will bring them back to life, Monica? That's the question. I hope this finds you well, and that by it I might be forgiven for having intruded on your privacy and asked about your mood. I must learn to mend my meddling ways. Your most avid reader, Hilary. Oh, Hilary, I've just received and devoured your email. I can't get enough of these women. I really can't. Everything you've said is right up my street. Please don't feel you need to ask my forgiveness. It was me who acted badly. I get touchy, and I'm moody at times. I'd like to say that it's a consequence of the pressures of writing, but I've always been like that. The old vicissitudes have knocked me a fair bit. Anyway, I was never a solid kind of person, even as a child. It doesn't mean that I'm not a good friend, or even a helpful member of society. It's just that I feel things rather strongly, and find myself very easily gripped by strange ideas and notions. Do you see Marianne as the Hesiot leader, then? And what of Dominic? Please answer me soon, this time. Don't leave me hanging. Monica. Is this soon enough? I've just logged on and there was your message. I had a feeling that it might be there, but I was a bit worried about what it would say. I thought you might send me packing for such amateurish research. Weren't you an academic once or had some connection with academia? I thought I read that somewhere. I see Marianne as the daughter of the leader, I must say. That way she has enough of a grasp of English society to make her real and yet plenty of appealing foreignness as well. As for Dominic, I see him as the son of the bigoted landlord. These mystical virgins should completely bowl him over, bewitch him. Sorry, how dare I make such suggestions? I just got a bit carried away. I can imagine that writers balk at people trying to foist their ideas on them. Originality is everything to an author. Are you insulted by me thinking that any of this would interest you? Your most avid reader. P.S got to get my daughter ready for school. We'll be back soon. Insulted? Grateful, more like. One day I'll tell you about the darkness of my current writing life, about doubts, stagnation and fear. Yes, these are all served up to me daily by my own psyche. Originality is a funny thing. Of course, Every writer wants and intends to produce work that's solely her own. But there are moments when something comes to you, and you wonder where you heard it or read it, and it just becomes enmeshed with your own ideas. It's usually just a tiny thing. A name you rather like, a description of a type of dress, maybe just a conversation with a former friend. But it sparks something in you and leads you down your own tunnel of thought until you come out the other end with a totally fresh reworking. In quality fiction, it is how you write, not what you write, trust me. But if you're willing to help me research certain areas, 
using your superior knowledge, then of course you would be very noticeably credited for that, if not remunerated. Now, I have a confession to make. I imagined you rather differently to how I now think you might be. It was your name, you see. Hilary. It's rather old-fashioned. And your curatorial career. Oh, and your rather proper yet florid way of expressing yourself. It all painted a picture in my mind of an unmarried lady in her sixties, perhaps with a taste for tartan skirts and those comfortable German shoes. I never imagined you with a school-age daughter. Anyway, Monica. I can see, I suppose, how you came to that conclusion, but no, you're well off the mark. I'm 39, if you must know, and I have a seven-year-old daughter. But you were right about the unmarried bit. Lena's father is no longer on the scene. I worked for several museum services around the country in my 20s and early 30s before giving up and bringing my young daughter to London, where my mother has a flat, which I now rent. How about you? Married? Kids? Thrice married, no children. Two dogs, much loved. Forty-six and greying. Oh, still married to the third. But only just. How do you find time to write? It's the one solid thing in my life. If only I could see stories stretching out into the far distance. But I don't. It's by the seat of my pants, mostly. Something always comes up. But you can see why I have my occasional wobbles. Listen, Hilary, if it's not too much to ask, would you mind also furnishing me with some details about that Regency girl gang you mentioned? I don't know why, but I think they might be as promising as the Hesiod women. And the thought of having yet another plotline to play with brings me enormous relief. God knows, there's nothing else on the horizon. Monica. Hadn't you noticed? It's nearly Christmas. That's what's on the horizon. And I've got a costume to make for Lena's school play. I'm afraid that's going to have to be my priority tonight. But if you can wait a little longer, then I'll get out all my notes and let's see what we can do. Oh, you'll love them, Monica. A truly inspiring group of female friends. The kind of friendship most of us can dream about. Just hold hard. It's on its way. In the meantime... I remain your most avid reader. Hillary was played by Rebecca Charles. Monica by Georgina Sutton. Your Most Avid Reader was written by Bibi Berkey with sound editing by Mark Lingwood. It was made by Tempest Productions and brought to you with the kind support of Rattlesnake Books, an established seller of books, maps, ephemera, art and curiosities. Rattlesnake Books can be found on Instagram, Etsy, Abe Books and Biblio.